My name is Kevin Barra, and I'm the college pastor here at Southwood Campus. So glad to be with you here this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, you can jump to Genesis chapter 1. It will be easy to find. It's all the way at the front after the table of contents. And so we're going to be looking there. And, um, and as, been, as I've been thinking about this week, I, I've been thinking about uh, an idea that, that I want to I give you guys. It's been something that God's been working in me and something that I, I hope God will work in you. And, and I pray that as we look at this, uh, look at Genesis, that we'll open up some some new places for you to think about your life and how you interact in your world. Let me read a little bit for us and we'll jump in. And if you've never heard this before, this will be exciting for you. Okay. Genesis 1, it says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated light from darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. This morning, uh, or sorry, this, this, uh, this summer, we moved to a new house. An entirely new place, and it was it was great. Uh, we had outgrown our our old home because we kept propagating. Uh, we have four kids: um, a six-year-old daughter named Peyton, a five-year-old son named Micah, a three-year-old son named Jesse, and an almost-year-old daughter named Juliet. Because we thought it through, and we wanted to stack them close. And uh, and that's our six crazy family. And we were in a three-bedroom house, and we had the gracious opportunity to move to a new house, which was. Awesome, very exciting. And so this summer was spent loading boxes, packing, getting everything together. And if you've never, uh, if you haven't moved in a while, um, what ends up happening over time, just to kind of forewarn you, is you accumulate a lot of stuff. Stuff that seems so vital at one point in time, and you created a spot for that stuff. It was in some closet, it was under some bed, and it was so crucial. One of the great parts of moving is that you get to take out all of that stuff and decide which one, which of you are going to make the journey to the next place, right? And so you have all of your clutter there and then you start stacking it and rearranging it and getting rid of loads and loads and loads and garage fulls of clutter, hopefully. And then you arrive at the new house. And the new house is great because it's empty space, right? It's, it's completely open and ready for you to, to put in new things and hopefully only the things that are needed and not the things that aren't needed. And that was my hope. That was my aspiration. But after we loaded two pods and unloaded everything into our new house, one of the rooms looked something like this. Now that's my three-year-old son, Jesse, marveling at the sea of, of clutter and, uh, and I remember for many weeks, like walking by and look, observing that clutter and just going, oh my Lord, what are we going to do with this? Why do we bring this? Do we really need this? There were so many things that were brought to this new place. And I, and I thought, I thought we were supposed to reset. I thought we were supposed to restart, but it feels like everything in my life continues to crowd and cloud my life. And if you think about this semester for a moment, I think this semester for many of you started out as a clean slate. I mean, it was new classes for you college students. It was a new semester for you high school students. It was, it was an opportunity to start over. But as the semester progressed over and over and over again, you begin accumulating clutter in your life. 
I mean, there's that organization you joined, there's that opportunity you took, there's that, org- there's that athletic team that you made, and all of a sudden, your, your world gets crowded and crowded and crowded, and so suddenly, it's boxes and seas of things you're trying to organize. And see, I think in most of our life, there's this accumulation of clutter that we can't even see through. And the reason I start there is because the beginning of Genesis is this. It's the start of a new journey for God's people. If you're familiar at all with with the Old Testament, it basically starts with Moses leading a people to a new place. I mean, it starts with creation, but the first five books of the Bible were written by a man, Moses. And it was written to a people, the people of Israel, for the purpose of showing them how to live life. How to structure life, and not just to structure life in a way to survive, but in a way for life to thrive. But the people of Israel had literally been in bondage for over 400 years as slaves. And after 400 years in slavery, they had become to get ingrained in a system, a way of thinking, a way of acting, a way of living life that was, that was slavery, that was bondage. And so the first thing God does is he takes out this entire group of people and he leads them into the wilderness. He leads them into the wild. And it's there underneath the stars of the wilderness that he begins speaking to them. He begins speaking to them about, about their history. This is where you've come from. About their identity. This is who you are. And about their trajectory. This is the life I want you to live. See, it's in the wilderness, removed from all of the clutter, that God says, I want to reform and reshape how you view life. One American journalist says this, the wilderness is healing, a therapy to the soul. He says, most of the time in the 21st century, we dominate our surroundings. We tweak our thermostat and the temperature falls one degree. We push a button and Taylor Swift sings to us. It's the opposite in the wilderness, which teaches us constantly that we are not lords of the universe. And so God moves these people to the wilderness to tell them about their history, to tell them about their identity, and give them a new trajectory in life. He wants to give them a model, a model in how to live life. How, how do I form my life in a way that it's not just survival mode, but it's in a way that life can thrive. And see, for most of us, the benefits of technology, they, they brought us to a place where we don't sit and stop, but busyness is a badge of honor in our world. If you were to tell someone, what are you doing tomorrow? Like, I don't know, I'm just going to relax. They'd be like, what is your problem? (laughs) If you were to look at your calendar and you have white space, there's things that aren't cluttering it, people would be like, okay, well, I've got some things to fill in for you. I mean, when we look at our time and we, we say that if you don't say I'm busy, it's almost like you're missing what it means to be an American, right? But God's desire is for us to create a life worth living. To create a life devoid of all of the clutter, but is most effective. And Genesis 1 gives us the basis to live the life he created us to live. A picture of how to build your life. And so there's three pieces that I want to give you this morning. Three pieces to put together in building a life that that doesn't just survive, but thrives. And the first part is this preparation. Secondly, it's rhythm. And third, it's reflection. There are seasons of life of preparation, rhythm, and reflection. The first one is this, preparation. 
And Genesis 1.1 says it this way. Now God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. The words formless and void are two words in Hebrew, tohu and wovohu. Whoa, sorry, my Hebrew is off. Okay, tohu and wavohu, which means there was no form and it was empty. There was no form, no structures, and there was nothing to fill the form. And what Genesis 1, according to one commentator, is saying, that it suggests that it's to describe the formless and emptiness of the land before God made it good. Before God began his work, the land was literally formless, tohu. Then God made it good, tob. And over the first three days of creation, God begins forming this land in order to be filled. And this is crucial. He begins to put the structures in place before he fills the structures. This is so crucial. The first thing we have to do is, is to start with what are the forms, what are the structures we need for life to thrive? What's missing, number one? What forms are missing in our life? And you see this. He, he begins literally to, to separate waters and to separate dry land and to separate the heavens and the earth and separate and form out the bodies in which things will happen. He takes three days to just think about structures. He spends three days working on a plan to fill what's missing, to form it. You ever spend time doing that? Do you ever spend time preparing your week, preparing your semester, Preparing what you're going to do before you dive into it. Thinking about what you're going to commit to before you start filling your schedule. Thinking about the structure of your life before you jump in and start filling your life with all sorts of things. See, that's what God does first. He creates the forms. He creates the structures before he ever starts filling. And I think this is so crucial in our life. To spend time preparing before we spend time working to spend time really thinking about what's needed before we start cluttering it full of stuff. And so I'm just going to ask you about five areas of your life. Five areas I want you to think about in preparing for your life to say, what's missing? What's missing in forms in my life? And so I'd ask you this, with Jesus, does he matter? Uh, Yes, Jesus. With your family, with your friendships, with your fitness, and with strangers. Strangers? Yeah, we'll get to them in a little bit. But, but those five areas, with Jesus, family, friendships, fitness, and strangers, what are, the, what are the forms that need to be created in your life? And secondly, what's the plan? What can you work on today? Here's what I love about God. He teaches us that we can form something in one day and leave it there. And then come back later and work on it more. See, so often when I'm thinking about preparing what's next, I think about all the things of those five areas, Kevin. Man, that could, that could take forever. It, it could take forever. But God takes it one day at a time and forms one thing at a time. So what do you want to focus on? Of those five areas, what's one thing you want to focus on? And what structure can you create today? For Jesus, is it getting time in prayer? For your family, is it, is it getting to know how to be a better parent or, or work on your marriage? For friendship, is it getting to know some more people or carving time out to actually connect with neighbors? In fitness, is it 
I just got to get to the gym once this semester. That would be amazing. If I could. Or with strangers. Is there an area where you can help serve in the community? And I say those areas, and you're like, okay, Kevin, I'm doing my best to keep my head above water, right? I mean, I don't even know if I can create a structure, but start small. I would say, is there 15 minutes a day you can spend a devotion? Is there one parenting conference you could do this year or one parenting book you could read? Is there one neighbor you could meet this month? Is there one person sitting next to you in church that you can invite home at some point in time to your house to actually have a meal and connect with them relationally? Is there one day a week when you can do something for fitness or for strangers? Is there one moment when you can grab guff and say, how do I connect with people that I wouldn't normally connect with? Guff would give you 30 answers. He's a great person to connect with. I would say prepare. What's missing in your life and what could you do to create some structure in which to move in? And God spends three days literally forming the structure. So what's missing in your life? What parts of your life you realize, I, 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 I could do better, I, I could do a little bit more. Pick one. And focus on that one. Prepare. And secondly, he moves to this, to, to rhythm. It says this in verse, Genesis 1, verse 14, on the fourth day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate day from night. And let there be signs for the seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser night to rule, light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light to the earth, to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. On the fourth day, God sets the luminary bodies in place. And he talks about stars now, I grew up in the city outside of Houston, and so we never saw stars, right? So stars were a, kind of a myth, except early morning um, on, when I was in high school, we would go, and I ran cross country, and so we'd go early morning to run, and as we're there on the track getting ready, we would see one constellation. It was the only constellation I could name, and it was Orion. And so you'd see his three little you know, stars for his belt, and we'd look at Orion, and we would mock Orion. We would say, Say, don't say that to me, otherwise Orion will shoot you. You know, he's got a you know, archer. Or he'd be like, I don't know the answer to that. Orion, do you know? Right? So that was the only interaction with a constellation I ever had growing up in high school. And to the ancients, though, when they're out in the wilderness, if you've ever taken a moment to drive and just been in the expanse, you see the Milky Way galaxy, you see the stars, and you see that they're brilliant. And to the ancients, they believed that the stars were there to show cosmic conflict. A war. But when God is writing this, he's, he's writing to throw the ancient religions on their head. He's saying it's not a cosmic conflict. In fact, they're there to guide you into days and nights and seasons. It's to set a rhythm in life. It's to set a life that, that's transient, that changes. There's days where you work. There's nights where you sleep. There's days and nights and seasons. There's there's planting, there's harvesting, there's seasons of life, and not every season is a, is a season to produce. Sometimes there's seasons 
to rest. But in 2016, we don't have to rest. We don't have to operate in rhythm. This weekend, I went to HEB and I bought a pint of strawberries. Strawberries are not in season. They haven't been in season for a while. That's a summer fruit. You're like, what What are you talking about? They grow them somewhere. Yeah, I know. So we don't have to rest, right? Stocks are always moving around the world. No matter what time of day, there's always something being bought or sold. Technology keeps us constantly connected. Literally, you may leave one conversation with a friend, walk home and sit in your room and continue that same conversation unstopped because our connection, our conversation, everything never has to stop. There's this constant pressure to produce. And the truth is that pressure to accomplish never stops. I remember when I was in high school, it was the pressure to, to have the extracurricular activities. It was, it was the exams, SAT, ACT to get ready for. And it was college. Like, what college are you going to go to? Isn't your life going to be meaningful? Go somewhere. And it was this pressure to produce something worthwhile. And once you got to college, you're like, I'm here, baby. I made it. Now I can just rest easy once I made it to A&M, right? Lies. <laughs> As soon as you showed up, they're like, immediately, what are you involved in? What organization are you in? And then they ask another question. Okay, I'm glad you're so there, freshman, and being involved in the organization. You're learning so much. It's so cute. And they're like, okay, are you going to lead next year? What are you going to be involved in there? Are you going to be in a leadership of an organization? How awesome are you going to be? Keep on clicking off the number. And not only that, they're like, okay, summer's coming, like seven months away. What internship are you going to be in? What are you going to produce? Do you know what your future is going to be? When you're going to graduate, are you going to be living at home with your mom forever? And you're just like, oh, I don't know. And and all of a sudden, the pressure produced gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And guess what? It doesn't stop when you become an adult. It doesn't. If you're not married when you graduate, the question you'll get this holiday season, if you're a single, be like, so, anyone on the horizon? Just like, no, stop asking. And they're, once you're married, they're like, how's it going? And you're just like, I don't want to talk about it. Fine. We're, we're making it, you know? Or once you get a job, they're like, work, what do you do? Like, I'm out of, out of, out of a job. I'm going to find a job. What are you going to look for for a job? I don't know. Do you like your job? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> or there's your kids. Oh, your kids. <laughs> what school are they going to go to? What are they going to be involved in? What sport are they going to do? Have they studied for the SAT yet? Well, they're six. I don't care. Have they started (laughs) studying for the SAT yet? You see, this pressure to perform has infused all of life. And it never stops. And it's gotten pushed even further down. One psychologist, she's a clinical professional counselor. um, And she wrote, she was part of an article that the Wall Street Journal had. And it said this. The stress levels among my 13-year-olds, I thought this was crazy, my 13-year-olds and 14-year-old students approximates what I saw several years ago when I counseled high school seniors. There is a sense that they need to follow a prescribed path to perform well in every discipline. Parents and students fear that even middle school choices might have an impact on college admissions. Oh, no, a seventh grade C is going to set your life in a horrible trajectory. As a result, when students earn a low grade or they don't like their math placement or get cut from a team, they can become unmoored. Intellectually, we know that no one needs to be good at everything. But in practice, 
it can be hard to take the long view. See, there's this huge pressure to produce. We don't live in seasons. We live constantly producing. For many of us, we are living as Egyptian slaves and we feel the need to constantly produce. And so God pulls them into the wilderness and says, look at the stars. Look up. To Abraham, the OJ, the original Jew, he leads him into the wilderness. I'm glad y'all like that. He says, look up at the stars. Can you count them? No. He's like, your descendants are going to be like the stars of the heavens. He says, Abraham, take a moment to look at what is so much bigger than you to what you cannot control. Just take a look, take a moment, and look up. And you're like, Kevin, there's no stars in College Station. I try to find them, but they're not here. That's kind of my point. We don't have to take time to simply look up and evaluate the seasons of our life. Are we constantly producing? Is there ever time to rest? I was wrestling with this personally, and I heard a sermon um, by Andy Stanley, and he had one statement in that sermon that shook me. He said this, Don't trade what's unique to you for something somebody else will do. Don't trade what's unique to you for something someone else will do. And he fleshes that out a little bit. He says, look, there's only, there's only about three things that only you can do. Only you can be a father to your kids. Only you can be a friend. Only you can be a husband to your wife. Unless you don't focus on what's unique for you because someone else will do it. Your job, someone else will do it. Your project, someone else will pick it up. Whatever it is you do, at the end of the day, you're going to have to drop that and someone else is going to take it. Someone else is going to preach the sermon on Sunday. Don't trade what's unique for you for something someone else will do. He has a book called Choosing to Cheat and he writes this. Everybody cheats. We have to. You have several important calls in your life. You have a career to fulfill, a spouse to love, a family to raise, a ministry to perform. The list goes on. Each of these things has tremendous merit in your life and the world, is, and the world at large. None of them should be neglected. However, when you consider the limited number of hours in a day, there's no way you can reach your full potential in all of these areas. There's not enough time. Your situation isn't different than mine. If you stayed at work until everything was finished, if you took advantage of every opportunity that came your way, if you sought out every angle to maximize your abilities, improve your skills, and advance your career, you would never go home. Likewise, if you stayed at home until every ounce of affection was poured out in all the appropriate places, if you kept on giving until every emotional need was met, if you did every chore, finished the honey to-do list, and did every necessary thing to ensure that everyone felt loved, you would never make it to work. 
In fact, if you're a parent, you know that your kids alone could command every waking hour. Someone say amen. (laughs) If you let them. And to that, your fit, add to that your fitness goals, your hobbies, your friendships. And over time, our families learn that the only way to get our attention is to create a crisis. You see, see, God created seasons of life. There's time to work. There's time to rest. There's supposed to be a cycle, a rhythm of life that's sustainable, that's enjoyable. But our world, our culture, I crowd my life with so many to-dos that there's no space. And so the solution to the reality of seasons and rhythms in life isn't to increase my tempo, increase what I can produce, but to create space. And that's what God does when he creates. When he begins forming the land, he creates space for each animal to thrive. I mean, he creates cliffs for the goats to climb up, right? He creates endless, endless expanses of forest for monkeys to jump around and have fun in, right? He makes immense oceans, beautiful, immense oceans for dolphins to just play. Read Job, it says, I made the Leviathan to play, to sport in the water. I mean, he's making space, For the creatures to thrive, he doesn't fill the space so full. I mean, can you imagine that? If God created this beautiful expanse and be like, oh my gosh, there's too many wildebeests. He doesn't. And then he creates man, he puts him in a garden. And he says, I want you to keep and cultivate this space. You don't need to worry about everything. You just need to worry about this thing. What forms need to be there? How do you fill the forms? Create a rhythm of life that works here. And in Leviticus, when he's giving the people the law, he writes this. Leviticus 22, 23, he says, And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord, your God. See what he says? He says, I don't want you to live life all the way to the edge. I don't want you to live life all the way to the ends. And I'll tell you what, sometimes living on the edge is fun. Like skydiving can be fun. You should do it sometime. For those of you that are not that level of risk taker, there's safe versions in Houston where they kind of simulate the sensation of falling, but you know, you can be safer. But it's fun living on the edge in some areas. But if every day you wake up, you put on your satchel or your backpack, depending on how cool you are, you take a step out the door and you're like, all right, let's do this. And and it feels like you're jumping into an oblivion, hoping your chute will catch you. You've pushed it too far. You're living on the edge you were never meant to live on. But I think so many of us, if one thing drops financially, relationally, car-wise, it feels like our world comes crumbling apart because we've pushed our life all the way to the edge. And God says, that's not what I'm talking about. That's not how I'm, I've, I've desired you to create a rhythm in life that's sustainable, that there's space for those who need you. That's how God created it. For life to thrive, for there to be space to enjoy. I mean, can you imagine Jesus living life 
and being like, Father, um, Daddy, dude, I just couldn't get that done. You're like, well, what happened? You're like, man, I was kind of busy. Which thing? You know, like the dying for the sins of the world thing? Yeah, I was so, so busy. I got distracted. There was the traffic. Kid was demon-possessed. Like, I got distracted and busy. Can you imagine Jesus saying, like, sorry, man, just couldn't get it done. You know why? Because he picked his path. He said, I'm going to do these things in life because these are what are most important. I'm going to prioritize what's most important to make space for those and to say no to other things. There's several books I would, I would point you to in how to construct this well in your life. And there's, there's three right now I'd give to you. One is called Boundaries by Henry Cloud. A second one is called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. And the one I've referenced and read, um, Choosing to Cheat by Andy Stanley. Each one of these is helpful, and they say, look, there are seasons to push. There's time in farmers where you've got to harvest. There's grain to, to cut. There, there's things to do. For some of you, you're about to hit finals, and that is not a season to find rest. Like, I'll study next semester. No, negative. Right? There's a season to push, and that's okay. But that season isn't sustainable. And you have the opportunity to reflect over this holiday break. And say, what, is there space for other people? Or am I living at such a tempo is completely unsustainable, but everyone else around me is doing it. It just seems normal. And if someone was to come to you and say, hey, can I borrow a hundred bucks to do this? You'd say, no, I'm pushed to the edge. Hey, do you have time to come visit me? No, no I'm, I'm pushed to the edge. Hey, could you come over and help serve in this area? You'd be like, no, I'm pushed to the edge. And when you live your life to the edge, everyone around you loses. So is there time for Jesus? Is there time for family? Is there time for friends? Is there even room in your life to think about the stranger? See what he says here in Leviticus? Don't reap all the way to the edge you leave a space, a border, so that anyone coming by can come and be served. It's funny, I was, I was talking to Pam, um, Pam Koch, who works here in the offices the other day. And she said to me something, and I, and I really took it hard. I was thankful for it. Because there have been many seasons in my life when I just feel like I'm pushing all the way to the edge. And there was a walk-in. Someone, someone I got to talk to, and it was, it was a great conversation. I was glad to do it. And she says, you get the award for being one that's taken the most PODs, pastor of the day, this semester. Because you've created space. And not even on your day. Sometimes there's an off day, and you create space where you can hear that person. Do you create space to serve those people who aren't in your vicinity? And thirdly, there's Reflection. Reflection. Genesis one thirty one. God says this. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening. And there was morning. The sixth day. I said I had a six-year-old daughter. My daughter is a creative genius. And by that, I mean she creates in abundance, lots of things, right? So there's 
uh, stacks of pictures that are drawn everywhere. There's all sorts of crafts that my wife buys at Hobby Lobby that are formed and stacks of them in random places that we have to go through later on. Thank you, new house. And one day I come home from work and she comes bounding at me with this in her hand and she goes, daddy, 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 and hands it to me. Now, those of you who are parents may have experienced a moment like this. When you receive this in your hand, what is your expression? That's remarkable. You outdid yourself. I said, baby, what is that? And she said, it's a monster. And I said, you are right. It is pom-poms on a toilet paper roll with some Hello Kitty stickers and a little bit of coloring on the side. I'm like, you're right. That is a monster. And I look at that and I, and I thought about my daughter and I said, my, I said to myself, my daughter has no problem celebrating her accomplishments. She doesn't. I mean, she does something and then she immediately runs to us and says, look what I did. Look what I created. Look what I produced. Look, look, look at this thing that happened. And, and as I looked at that, I went like, that's just not me. <laughs> not that I don't enjoy the monster. I do. But, but I don't take time, honestly, to celebrate a season. To celebrate a season of life. To celebrate something that I accomplished over life. I mean, do you ever take time for that? Do you ever take time to look at what you did to just simply observe and say, first of all, what did I do? Look at the past semester. I want you to take just one moment and say, look at this past semester and answer this question. What the heck did I do? And just observe. In verse 31, God saw everything that he had made. He took inventory of all the things that he created over this season, this week. He says, look at everything that I have done. When you come to the end of an assignment, end of a project, end of a day, do you ever take a step to step back and say, what did I just do? Do you observe it? And secondly, he evaluated it. He said he looked at it and he saw that it was very good. Now, as you evaluate your week, your day, your evaluation may not be a sweeping. It's all good. You may not have that. It may feel like a monster, right? But you take a moment and say, how did I do? And for some of you, you take that moment and you may say like, ah, I don't even know what I, I, I never actually spent time reflecting on the project I completed, a paper that I wrote, uh, something for work I produced, a time with my kid, a season of life. But if you did, I would say this, you could be disappointed. But Paul gives us this admonition. Is there anything excellent, anything worthy of praise, anything? then meditate on these things. How did I do? What can I observe? What can I evaluate? And thirdly, what can I celebrate? Is there anything in that season of life that you can say, that was great? I mean, can you imagine, I, I know for me, like I, I, I tend toward the discontent. That's me. I tend to come to an end of a season and be like, okay, uh, I, I did that. I, I finished that project, but I got the next thing coming. And I'm always constantly moving to the next thing, pressing. And I don't simply take the time and say, I can celebrate this for what it is. Each day God formed, each day God filled, and each day God celebrated that creation. Do you do that? 
you take the moment and say, this here was good. One of the other reasons I say that is because we are in a season right now in our nation where for some of you, you feel like there's all the reason to celebrate with the elections. And others of you feel like there is nothing to celebrate based on these elections. And my encouragement to us is to set space in life to live this cycle of preparation, rhythm, and reflection. To prepare, to to, to reflect, to say, hey, what went well? Is there anything worthy of praise? And it may be really hard, but one of the things I've been most encouraged about with a lot of people um, from different political streams that have come forward and said, our country is so divided. Let's work to mend the bonds that have broken. I've been so thankful to hear that call from so many people on opposite sides of the spectrum. And then when you come off of a reflection, there are things that are missing. There are things that we have to do to make life go better. There are things to prepare. What are those and how can you contribute in a positive way? What could you put into your life? There's times that there's a rhythm. I'm going to work out these things that I prepared. I'm going to do these things well. And I'm going to focus on that until I get a time to reflect and prepare differently. This is the cycle of life that God wants us to live. And the greatest news of all is that this is a cycle we get to live in our life. But there's no pressure to perform. There's no thing you have to achieve because of something that happened on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life we could not live. He died the death we deserve to die. And instead of saying, you will pay for your sin, he says, no, I will take your sin on me. He didn't point his finger and say, you are the problem. He says, you know what? There is a problem that's there and I'll take it. You need to fix what you did wrong. He says, yeah, there's something that needs to be fixed and there's something that we can all see that's wrong and I will take all of that on me. They said, they did. I know, they all did. And I will take the whole sin of the world on me and I won't push to blame. I've prepared for this. I've set my life in this trajectory And he sits there on the cross and he reflects. To his enemies, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And at the end of his life, he says, it's finished. The barrier's broken. The divide is fixed. Because Jesus laid down his life to take the divide for us. I pray that in this season, we look at the cross. We don't point fingers We don't point blame, but we look at Christ who took all of the sin on him and said, there's a better way. I think much of life could feel like hiking up a mountain. I remember when I was in in high school, I I went out with my cousins to Pagosa Springs, Colorado, and I went with my uncle Jim Smith. 
And Jim Smith is a realtor in Pagosa Springs. He owns Jim Smith Realty. You ever head over there? You see Jim Smith Realty? That's my Jim Smith. He's a real person. And he looks like a mountain man, huge beard. And I was, I was from Houston, right? So city slickers, suburbs, never hiked a mountain. And he, he pulls us out and he says, okay, we're going to go up this, this pass and we're going to come up to the top. And I'll tell you what, the view is amazing. I said, all right, that sounds good. And so we start hiking and immediately it goes downhill and it's this lush, beautiful valley. And I'm like, this is amazing. This is easy. Hiking's the best, right? And there's seasons of life where it feels like that. And then we start climbing up switchbacks, switchback after switchback. And I remember getting to the top of one, one spot and be like, are we done yet? And he's like, no, 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 no. Keep climbing, keep pressing, keep pushing. And we get to one point along the trail and snow had literally covered the trail. And he looks back at me, he says, okay, we got two options here. We can turn back or you can follow me through this terrain. And I was like 18 at the time, like, we're going, babe. You know, we're going, right? And he says, okay, I'm gonna stomp a foot in and you step in right after me and you follow my lead. And I remember as I'm walking across the precipice of this of this mountain, I look to the side. I'm like, if I teeter, I'm gone. But I focused in on his back and I took step after step after him. We crossed up, we got to the top of this mountain and he looks over the edge and he goes, okay, the the trail got a little wonky there. Um, We're gonna have to rock climb down the side of the sheer cliff for about 30 feet. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) Say what? He's like, we're gonna do it. And then he goes, and then my female cousin, Kim, goes. And she, they go down fine. And I get up there, and I freeze. I'm like, y'all are insane. <laughs> and they guide me each handhold along the way. Each thing I was completely unsure that I could do, they, they guided me one step along the way. And then we get to the bottom, and we look out at the top of the mountain, but this huge, vast valley of caribou running along a beautiful, clear lake. And I'm like, this is it. This is the rest that God, you're leading us to. There's seasons of life that's hard. There's seasons of life that require a push. But we set our, we prepare, we set our rhythm, we reflect along the journey and where God is leading will lead us ultimately home. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this morning. And Lord, I know that we are um, tempted to fill our lives with so many things that move us from living the life you created us to live. And it's pressures at work, it's pressures at home, it's pressures of a nation. And so, Lord, I pray that we would simply look to the cross and say, Jesus, you paid it all. We trust you. And as we evaluate our life, that we would, we would take serious inventory of, of what to prepare, what rhythms to create, and when to reflect and celebrate the season you've given us and step forward one step at a time on the journey you're guiding us on. I lift us up to you. It's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great morning.